His name is Heston Blumenthal. He is one of the most inquisitive and creative chefs on the planet, with a knowledge of food quite unlike anyone else. And his famous restaurant, The Fat Duck, is now 25 years old, believe it or not. And to celebrate, we're doing a series of special podcasts where Heston is revealing some of the secrets and stories behind some of the classic dishes of the duck, and also some of the new creations that are being revealed as part of this anniversary. Hello, Heston. How are you? I'm very good, Jay. How are you? I'm very I, well. I'm looking. I feel better for looking behind you because Heston is sitting in the most beautiful sun-kissed exterior location in France, which is fantastic in cold England. So yes, I'm very, that looks nice there. It looks very nice. Where are you? I never had you for being that bitter. <laughs> <laughs> I am when I look at that. I'm in. I'm in. In basically in Provence, in um, in a in a national park called Les Alpes or the Baby Alps. Oh. It looks really good. I've had to put trousers on for the first time in months. So this is a, yeah, a cold day in England. Uh, looking at that is, is wonderful. So we had crab ice cream for our, our last course. Where are we going today? We're now going to the seaside. Wonderful, wonderful. And, and I would hence suggest... the, the course is very cryptically um, called Sound of the Sea. <laughs> and what I would think of as, for me anyway, probably one of the most iconic dishes of the fat duck and certainly of the experiences I've ever had there and what people think of with it. Is that, is that how you think of it? Yeah, I think, I think through this dish, I learned a lot and I'm still learning um, as a result of my initial discoveries in terms of the reactions that that dish created in some of the diners. And um, yeah, it's quite profound actually. I think that's the interesting thing I'm discovering talking to you about all these dishes that Two things strike me is, is, first of all, how they continue to evolve over 25 years to this day, and also the lessons and how, how their creation is so woven into your own journey of, of discovery. Um, explain to me about the sound of the sea then. We're now going to the seaside, um, hence the title of the dish, Sound of the Sea. So if you can just imagine this, the dish is a shadow box so it's sort of like a picture frame um, with a glass top rectangular box about uh, six inches by eight or nine inches something like that and under the glass surface of the box which is effectively the plate where the food's going to be placed is some sand and on top of that is some more sand but this is edible sand. The sand in the box is, is well, it's not edible. It, well, it's be very unpleasantly crunchy, I would have thought, if, as <laughs> most people know, having, having endured a day, the, the lovely thought of sitting by the beach, which normally turns out or turns into a sand fest, into everything, including your, your sandwiches. I wonder if that's why they're called sandwiches. I, I know <laughs> that's not true, but I just thought of that. Um, and that sand is a mixture of many things, but its base is a tapioca with, um, it's got a, a, some crumbed uh, waffle cone, Japanese, bit of Japanese breadcrumbs. It's got these tiny little bonito um, fish, which are, is a Japanese product that are fried, so they go nice and crisp. So the idea of these different textured crispy bits are to sort of remind you of eating sand but 
actually be thankful that you're not actually eating sand. <laughs> and then in, uh, to sort of up the umami in there, we've got some many other things like furukake, which is a mixture, Japanese mixture of dried seaweed and sesame and some other bits and bobs, which you sprinkle, you can mix. I mean, it's used for sushi and stuff mixed into the sand. And um, then we've got on top of the sand, there's some sea vegetables. And they're, they're, we've been working with um, a particular group of foragers for years now who harvest or go collecting foraging the vegetation that grows just in the estuaries. So sort of where the banks meet the water. Uh, there's a particular seaweed called Codium, which looks like, imagine the cowboy and western films, the, the, the cactus. Imagine that in miniature, thankfully without the, without the spiky bits on it. So it's got, a, it's got a crunch and it really tastes of the smell of the sea. Um, uh, and it's got a lovely soft saltiness. We've also got, ah, these are wonderful, sea jelly beans. They actually look like jelly beans, that mottled yellow, orangey, red colour. And you bite into them and you get this burst of very soft, um, softly salted water. Slightly sweet and viscous, but it's refreshing. And then, and then we, obviously the rest of the, 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 the um, foraged um, sea vegetables then change depending on what's available. Then we have some fish, and they, again, the fish ranges. Uh, normally three types, they can range from mackerel to yellowtail through to oysters in the past, or razor clams, or octopus, and, and each one of the three have been cured slightly differently. So for example, we've got different tea cures, uh, Lapsang Souchon, Darjeeling, Red, red Bush Tea, um, we also wrap some, cure some fish in seaweed. You wrap the fish in the seaweed and leave it for, leave it sort of for four or six hours. Um, and sometimes a little bit of ponzu or yuzu. So different, di three different types of seafood cured three different ways. So it's sort of giving you the effect of something that's fishy without being too strong. Um, and then you've got the sea. And the sea is a sauce which is made from uh, dried shiitake mushrooms, different types of seaweed, white soy sauce. Uh, there's lots of, of, of sort of Japanese ingredients in this dish. It's full of umami. Um, and when, when the lighting is really important above the table, so when this dish gets put down in front of you, the sand is on the left running away from you and the sea is on the... So it's, uh, I put this down this way because it was my memory of running along the running on the sea when I was on holiday years ago. Um, so you've got this dish that looks like the waves lapping up against a sandy shore with the fish and, and, the, and the sea vegetables, or sea salad stroke vegetables. Then, along with the dish, you get a seashell, a conch, and inside the seashell is an iPad. Not an iPad, that's very large. <laughs> it would have yeah, to be a huge shell. It would have to be a Tyrannosaurus Rex <laughs> shell, um, <laughs> and uh, and it's a an iPod, iPod. one of iPod. the old iPod Nanos. And we're in the process of upgrading it actually because the, the the sound sound technology has evolved massively, and therein lies the key to the dish, the sound of the sea. And um, you pop the headphones in. And you listen to the waves gently lapping up against the shore. There's the old sort of sound of children's laughter, uh, seagulls. 
and we've changed. We've done various uh, versions. In fact, I, I uh, <laughs> the the actual recording one time, um, Nick Mason, the ex, the uh, Pink Floyd Nick, he loves his food. And one time when he came in, he sent an email and said, look, I, I think you need a few more seagulls if you want a sound engineer. Uh, I'm, I'm here. So I thought I'll take him up on it. I think he, he might have been joking, but careful, careful what you offer. Yeah. So we had the Nick Mason remix of Sound of the Sea, which is quite cool. Fantastic. Was it much <laughs> different? Was it more new agey and kind of... <laughs> <laughs> it had just the right amount of seagulls in it. And they, it's different. I mean, you can tell this... This is the amazing thing with this, with this whole sort of the sensory um, effect on our relationship with food, because whether the waves, you know, you don't just have lapping waves. The waves could be lapping on a pebble beach, or they could be lapping on a sandy beach. It depends on the angle of the sand. They could be crashing waves. They could be wind blowing. Um, you know the, the the depth of you know sometimes you have a wave that when it crashes it's almost like the whole ground underneath you moves very sort of bassy and um what we found with the dish was and i'll come back to this but i'm just going to say this is the first time in my life that something happened that i never thought i would experience probably more powerful than getting three Michelin stars was that some people were in tears eating the dish but in a really positive way because it pressed the buttons everything about that moment them being in that moment with that dish with that sound just pressed um, a memory trigger for them and have you seen the film Ratatouille? That Ratatouille moment where the really cynical food critic who came to want to came to eat in the in the restaurant of Gustavo's old restaurant and wanted to hate it, and he put this Ratatouille in his mouth and he got transformed completely back to his childhood, just like I think the Proustian moment with the Madeleines. That moment and food has this incredible ability to transport back to, to memories. It roots us in time and place. And after smell, sound is the biggest trigger of memory of all of the senses. So just park that for a minute and I'm gonna take you back a few more years because that dish eventually went on the menu sort of somewhere between 2006 and 2008. But that wasn't the first encounter I had with sound. This is interesting because I, I, I was curious what came first, the sound or the dish. So this is great. Rewind me to when you first encountered it. Well, the first time I came across even the notion that sound could play a major role in eating, uh, you know, other than obviously crunching something, because when we crunch something, we feel the texture of the sound. We hear the sound of a crunch, but also the sound vibrates through our jaw so that also amplifies the sound but this was really the effect of sound as a trigger for memory yeah which is different to sound because i remember you once did an experiment where you put crisps in my mouth and then told me to cover my ears and it completely yes, that's changed just, the texture yeah, it, that's that's really looking about texture but this is much more about an emotional um trigger that takes you back to a wonderful memory 
of child in childhood, which is so precious. Those memories are so precious. And um, to 2000, roughly about 2000, I was filming a, my first TV show, which was for, for my first TV show, which was for Discovery Channel called Kitchen Chemistry. And I remember one Monday we filmed in the fat duck. It was because it was closed, so we could we had the space. As myself, Harold McGee, and um, a guy called Professor John Prince, and he was at Wageningen Food Research Center, barking mad in the most I mean in the most wonderfully eccentric <laughs> way, incredibly hilarious, dry sense of humor. But he had been doing groundbreaking work on what happens to the food, to our food when we put it in our mouths, because no one really thinks about that. We think about this is what it looks like, this is what it smells like, um, do I like it or not, etc. But actually, many many complex things happen when the food goes into our mouth and before, or the process of, and before we swallow it. And there's this continual dialogue between the senses, even before the food goes in the mouth, the senses, but particularly when it's in the mouth, through the brain, down through the vagus nerve at the, the back of the, the top of the, the spinal cord, down to the gut and back up again. And so you have this incredibly fast, complex discussion that's going to and fro between our, you know, do we like it or not? Our questions, our, 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 is our gut going to allow us to swallow this? Because obviously it's safe for us. But then we behave differently depending on the food in, that's in our mouth whether it's a custard and it's got starch in it or you know whether it's um whether you're crunching something or chewing something so if you crunch something you go straight down but when you chew something your jaw goes in like like, like in a circular motion so John, like imagine a cow when it's eating exactly <laughs> brilliant exactly <laughs> like a cow when it's eating and so John demonstrated that by giving me a piece of chewing gum, which had like a, a different colored stripe, white with a pink stripe, I think it was. And I, so just put it in your mouth and start chewing. So I wasn't aware what was happening until he told me. And when he told me, it was incredible. I discovered something about myself that was always there, just waiting to be discovered by myself. And as I chewed, what happened is I thought that my, my mouth kind of took the food because it was gum and needed chewing it took it to one side um of my teeth and i might move it to the other side but you don't think about it you don't chew really chew gum with your front teeth do you it goes back well, to that's your, good point, yeah. or your, Just side. your back yeah and and when i then pulled the gum out it was like a barber's pole it was spiraled so I've been turning this round, and the, one of the reasons for doing this is it mixes the food with the saliva that is produced from the signals from the gut. And these chewing gum companies, you know, they're not stupid. They're, 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 they're clever old so-and-sos. Um, gum, the two things that are the biggest producers of saliva are chewing and acidity. So you might think, well, okay, why do you want saliva? Well, we describe food that is delicious as mouth-watering. And so when we're generating saliva, it's almost, you know, you can see it with sometimes with with dogs when they're waiting for their food and they're really hungry yeah. and they can see their food. Look at the saliva gigs going mad. It, that's all that all our microbes going, give me, give me, yummy, yum, quick. So mouth-watering is a really uh, positive thing before eating so john did this with me and then harold was sitting there looking slightly 
slightly mesmerised and bewildered at the same time. Uh, and so was the director, by the way. I'm, I'm saying this for a reason. So the next thing was, okay, now you've chewed the gum. Now I'm going to give you give you some this gum. Carry on chewing the gum. Now you're aware of the gum being pushed to the side of your mouth when you chew. Also, what it's doing is it's forming what they call a bolus. And the bolus is a ball of food. Yeah, like a dung beetle rolls things into a ball. Well, we do the same thing in our mouth with food before we swallow because it one we extract nutrients from it also it forms just before we swallow we don't realize this either it just sits just at the back of the throat for a brief second it allows extra um air oxygen to pass over it so we release aroma molecules so we can it's, it's almost like last defense mechanism before we swallow because we've got to make oh, sure wow. that it's not going to do us any harm and <clears throat> And so I've got, I've got this gum, and, and uh, John says, now put these headphones on. I've recorded myself crunching an apple. So I'm, I'm now, he's now got me more aware of what my mouth was doing with the gum inside it than I've ever been before. And then I listen to this <coughs> crunch. Oh, so he says, keep chewing the gum. Now, it didn't change the taste or flavour of the gum. It didn't make the gum seem like it was crispy or crunchy, like an apple. However... It did make my jaw do some really weird things. It was like, you know, when you try and pat your head, pat your head and rub your tummy in, circ in a circular motion with two sep your two hands. And you oh, get so your confused. jaw was trying to go in the same speed as what yeah, it was hearing. Yeah. Oh, wow. That part of it was saying, chew, chew, jaw, chew. And then, the, and then the sound was going, come on, crunch, crunch. So <laughs> I was doing like a, a crew or a, <laughs> a trunch. <laughs> that's fantastic um, and that was the first time i thought oh my god i never really thought of the impact of sound so oh finishing off on that on that little situation um john was so eccentric and the director was running out of time and every time john gave a little explanation of, of one of his tests experiments as demonstrations he would just be he'd, he'd um he'd look straight at me and, and the director was saying john can you just please look at the camera just for a few seconds after you finish speaking because we need to edit and if you look away immediately i can't edit 20 times later he's going john please we haven't got time and then john in his softly spoken northern accent looked across the table at me and he said it's like time it's a turn like this i wish i listened to what my mum said and i said what did she say he went I don't know, and she never. No, I don't know. I never listened, and then the director had to go outside to get some fresh air because he just got too infuriated. So sorry. So I remember that my first encounter with sound very well. We're just going to pause there for one second because we want to share with you something that we really like here, and who thankfully sponsored this podcast so we can produce it for free. Recently, we've been checking out all sorts of interesting things on the Great Courses Plus. Heston, you've been looking at something that sounds particularly interesting on this, right? Yeah, I've, I've, my, my last, I, I've watched um, and listened to several of them over the last probably three or four years. Uh, wealth of information, fascinating. I've been, I've been particularly excited by Robert Hassan's subject matter, which is the origin and evolution of Earth. And he basically goes from Big Bang, uh, the evolution of the elements to, the, to, to minerals, to crystals, to rocks and mountains, to, to other living things and, and us. And he manages to demystify a lot of um, very complicated, potentially complicated information. And I think that's one of the problems with a lot of science or scientific reporting is that communication between the scientists and general public 
because a lot of the time people turn off because it's just too complicated to understand. But actually, he takes a very humongous subject and makes it really fascinating. So we really recommend you go and check this out. And the great thing is, The Great Courses Plus is giving all of our listeners a limited time offer of a free month trial with unlimited access to the entire library. That's any course, anywhere you like, for the next month, completely free. Um, So go and sign up today using our special URL. You've got to put in thegreatcoursesplus.com slash Heston and you can start your free month now. So thegreatcoursesplus.com slash Heston and get access to all this great content. Right, back into the sound of the sea. Then um, I met um, to one of the, the great photographers of, of uh, Britain, Nick Knight, who asked me to get involved in a dinner he, he did <clears throat> for his website. And it was a dinner for 12 people. It was with Vivian Westwood's husband and some other people. And we had a sound engineer because I wanted to do Sound at the Sea. Now, this sound engineer had a box. I think you can plug a guitar into it. So you can put sound and you can change the effect of the sound. So... We wanted to amplify popping candy, which again, that was a, another, another uh, fat duck first. I remember having to, no, I remember trying to bring popping candy into the country from, I think, South America. Sounds really dodgy, but, uh, but no one was using it. And I had to got a whole big sack full. I wanted to try and ex- um, accentuate the crackle of the popping candy while people were eating it, inspired by John's uh, apple experiment. So he had this he had this this box and you could put a flange on the popping candy so it went doing 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 so when What's you a put flange? the flange What's flange it's called it you 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 when you do a, your play guitar so it goes bow wow wow down it's oh, like a cool. metallic dong um so instead of the crunch it was making this doing wine boing springy noise uh and that was that was really cool and then so we started playing a lot playing around with this i bought a, this kit it's in the fat dog book actually the actual photograph of this piece of equipment then i started thinking well what would happen if you actually played some a played sound that that was relevant to the food that you were eating uh and then we would been doing some work with uh charles spence a professor at uh, oxford university he's done a lot of work on 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 the senses so i said can we i've got this i this idea can I test it on some of your PhD students? So we did a very simple experiment in his lab where we took, um, going to eat some oysters, raw oysters, listening to barnyard noises, listening to nothing, and listening to the sound of the sea. And um, I think it was nine out of ten. One person wasn't sure, but which was quite interesting. I mean, that's what the experiments are. Which, which, if, if which one they like, like most. But they, the the other nine all, all said the sound of the sea, and it also enhanced. A couple of them said it enhanced the saltiness of the oysters. So that's when that that that's really when the dish went on the menu. But I've been trying to find directional speakers. I didn't want people to put headphones in. Because I thought, you know, if you've got if you've got um, you've got a couple for going for a special dinner or a group of friends, it might have been to the hairdressers, male or female. And I thought, I don't want to be putting clunky headphones. And bear in mind, with all of these things, now people don't see any much problem with it. But we're talking yeah. 15 years ago, 
and it was so unheard of the concept of actually listening to something while you're eating also headphones is a very insular individual thing to do so you'd think you'd be breaking yeah. the dynamic of a, a table of mm-hmm. diners right exactly and in the end I'd, we'd had the shadow boxes made the dish had been developed but it hadn't gone on the menu because I couldn't find directional speakers that were good enough to work and also the, the, the fat duck's a tiny little low ceiling room with beams so it, the sound with directional speakers bounced all over the place yeah, the whole anyway, place would just be a wash with it, wouldn't it? Yeah, there's no way yeah. to make it go to one person. No, it just wasn't good enough. And, and if you're going to do something like that, for you know, for, for what I thought was very good intentions, I had a whole evolutionary um, story journey of the of the story of the evolution of the dish and the development process behind it. You want to get it right, and something like like that, if it was too clumsy, would 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 not really put you in good stead to make people you know make it accessible and make it you know stop it being a barrier for people so i was in my office down the down the corridor from where the old development kitchen was and kyle who was running the development kitchen at the time came um knocked on the door and said chef can you just come and ha- come see this so i went in and there was the dish plated up and he just plugged he put his headphones with the cable into his telephone and so I put the headphones on now I put an awful lot of store into the what I call the blink you know that initial reaction to something before you can apply words doesn't it's it's only a short space of time but the moment we try and apply a word to something we have there's the danger of compartmentalizing it because the moment you give something a word then it then then you start trying to fit it into the word you've given it and it's also a, the words generally a bit like this or it's a bit like that. And it's yeah, not it's not quite, thing. it's not quite, it's a, no, exactly. So, but that initial reaction for me is so valuable. Anyway, I was grinning from ear to ear. I never heard about that before either. The blink, that's a really cool term. That's just that, just the blink. Before, try and capture how you feel as you react to something before you try and put words because the moment you apply words, it becomes, invariably becomes something completely different. And and so, thought, right, that's it. Let's 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 put it on. Let's take the risk. It was my reaction. I was too much like a kid in a sweet shop, not not to go ahead with it. And Kyle was the first person to have um, to experience this. And it was him and his wife and his parents came over from. Carl now has um, uh, three mission stars in California, a place called One Single th- a Single Thread, um, and. Um, he so California is basically his homes his parents came over and there was the four of them for dinner and it wasn't even on the menu yet but it was ready to go on so that the dish came down and Carl you know he played a fairly significant role in getting this on the dish you know getting the getting it past the last that is the last hurdle anyway Eric my maitre d at the time had downloaded the sound of the sea to Carl's parents and his wife but on Kyle's headphones, he put Surfing USA for the Beach Boys. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and Kyle, did, he, was in, he, he saw the funny side eventually. But anyway, um, so the dish went on. And I remember there was several tables that the front of house left arguing about where they were. One was in Devon, the other one was in Boston, and the other one was in somewhere in somewhere else in the, in the Mediterranean. 
and there's some one person turned the plate so that the sea was in front of them because their memory happened to be sitting on the beach looking out to the sea um but the biggest thing of all was when we started to get people in tears and that got me thinking so much about you know all the work i'd done thus far so opening 90 say 95 to 2000 and let's say eight on the senses why was i doing this why and in fact it's wanting to try and create that ratatouille moment if you could if you could give somebody or or they're through the course of a, of a meal a, the the person that's experiencing the dinner or the lunch has the opportunity to trigger their own ratatouille moment how valuable is that that i mean that that that's a sort of to me that's a sort of money can't money can't buy um but because i thought long and hard about this dish for the for a few years afterwards well i continue to now i just happened to press those buttons that dish with other factors happened to press those buttons and obviously the person had to be in a certain frame of mind and maybe you know the people on the table with him and the time of day and what they were doing tomorrow what they were thinking about all of these things of course however it still pressed a button for that person so i thought god this is what i want to try and do this for every table one moment for every table and so that's still what we're trying that's our i mean the 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 duck now over the course of 25 years that's that's our probably our key ambition if you people could come to the duck thinking i might be able to access my own through my own awareness and curiosity and discovery i might be able to access my own uh ratatouille moment which would be that's incredible a, that's amazing as well because you know i've heard you speak about these things i've ex- obviously experienced the dish before which is wonderful but as you're talking i'm kind of connecting those dots in my head because there's a sort of some of the parts in this when you put the headphones on it's a very personal experience and you're right yeah. the sound of the sea immediately transports you back to your memories but yeah. there's something about the fact that that's happening in a restaurant see it's unexpected and it, it, it's joyous but then there's also the food itself which is the, the smells and the scents and those sea vegetables you spoke of before which are literally like biting into a harbor they just burst yeah. salt in your mouth it's incredible and because of all those parts put together an unexpected individual experience in a shared environment uh, an incredible taste from something which looks like artwork but when you eat it it does evoke all the all the right tastes and flavors of the seaside as well and it's not just the food you'd eat at the seaside it's literally like eating the seaside yeah it comes back to actually what we touched on in the last podcast about tasting a smell yeah so i mentioned it with the codeine it tastes of the smell of but the normally things that smell let's say when you can smell okay smelling time and smelling those ingredients using cooking they're fine but there's some things that are so evocative in terms of their smell and the, and the smell is so pleasing yet you'd never want to eat them yeah you wouldn't but want if, to eat sand but this is what sand would taste like yeah, yes exactly if, if you delicious. could find a way to 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 eat something that makes you imagine that you were possibly eating it's a bit alice in wonderland you know it, it, it you're trying to, you're sort of putting logic into a surreal situation 
That's so, it. Maybe there's something in that. Maybe that's what your brain does as well. That's maybe why it's so easy to access the memories because it is in a logical situation from all manner of ways, everything about it. Your brain seems to just very quickly go to those memories that you've got. It's almost sort of supercharged to go there. I, be, um, that's, that is be, all, not all because of, but primarily because of our memory. And with our memory, we're preconditioned or we're, we are, we've learned to expect because that expectation is also a protective mechanism. It's fantastic when you learn to expect something and then you get something else. But I don't mean in terms of a shock as a wonderful surprise. And it's like that packet of cards, you know, when the three packs of cards, when you, I won't, actually, I won't go down there. There's enough content in this already I'll, to go, <laughs> to go out to cards. Um, what's, the, what's the video you showed me once? The colour changing, where they uh, present. Yes, if anyone is interested, have a look at this. It's a fantastic card trick, and it's by Richard Wiseman, and it's called the, the colour changing card trick. If you just Google that, it's about a couple of minutes long, and that is a great card trick. And then they they show you how he, what he's done. Sorry, has done what he's done with the cards. So have a look. I'm not going to say any more because it'll give it away. Um, but the brain, obviously, there's so much stuff around each of us in in, the, in our day-to-day lives the brain basically the brain stroke gut body puts the bits together that it thinks it needs so for example if you were walking through a a jungle you would be aware that of you would be looking for snakes you know maybe hanging down off a branch but if you're walking if you're in a town or a city and you're just walking to a local supermarket to buy a loaf of bread you're not going to think that a snake is going to jump out of the bus stop or a rhino's going to come flying, charging down the, down the road. It, you'd just be looking out for different stuff um, because there is too much. There is too much to look for. But the great thing about that is there is so much to wonder about in terms of you know, wonderment and discover in life that is actually hidden amongst the barrage of um, stimuli that are around us. And to tap into some of that, I think is fantastic. It means you do, as you, the more you do it, the more you realise you don't know. And it's, char- it's amazingly childlike as well. You know what? Obviously, through all our adventures together, you creating the amazing foods for TV, there's a lot of tricks you've pulled on that, but some of the ones that get the most wonderful childhood reactions yeah. are when for example you did the fried egg but it wasn't fried egg it was mango jelly with yogurt or yeah. it looked like a fried the whole fry up looked like fry up but everything in it was different and unexpected and everyone's reaction is very childlike Maybe there's a joy in it i think and also when you collective when you're together this is and we've done this many times over the years for for tv shows and this is really what the the new, the, the, what the fat duck has evolved into, and I've become aware of it. I mean, it was happening maybe without being so aware, and that is creating food-centric moments that we can share. But we've, at the same time as being able to share those food-centric moments, we've got our own connection with it. So there's this this thing in life where the the, the we've got the most complex important relationship anyone has really is with themselves and then they've got their relationship with others and the world around them they're both equally as important and you but you need one for the other you can't you, you can't really neglect both of them so what this does when you have a food centric moment and by food centric moment i mean things that everyone can relate to so there is christmas so 
Christmas is a food-centric moment, but within Christmas, if that bubble, there's individual ones. There's Christmas Eve, there's Christmas Day, there's Christmas morning. Um, you know, there's a build-up to Christmas. There's the mince pie moment. There's the Santa, the putting stuff in the stocking or by the fireplace, and there's the actual turkey or whatever you're going to have for Christmas lunch. So that in itself has many food-centric moments. But then you can have barbecue, packed lunch, picnic, afternoon tea tea break breakfast um there's many oh the ice cream van eating a packed lunch on the beach is different from eating packed lunch and you're going for a walk in the woods so these are food centric moments so if you can sit around a, i mean i'm saying sit around a table because the, the duck we do still have for the now tables and chairs for now i love that for now <laughs> so you might be sharing a food centric moment that could be breakfast but it's a twist on breakfast and it might be, you might use the little variety pack of cereal and you can print the things on the boxes because the idea that those variety boxes of packs of cereal or certain types of cereal or different, something else for breakfast, then you've got the object, which is your food-centric object of, let's say, breakfast or variety packs. Then you've got the group around that we're all talking about the same food centric bubble or universe however we've got our own relationships with it and then you start sharing those moments and what's what's some one of the things that's quite amazing that happens is somebody might say god yeah i remember i i getting i don't know weetabix and and um having a cut out seaside you cut the waves out and then these little puppets come up and and then when you remember something, somebody said something which triggers a memory that you've forgotten about. So it's like, it's sort of, you've, you've rediscovered a forgotten memory, but in a positive way. It's a, it's a wonderful moment. Cooking with memories. It's not ingredients. It's, well, you are ingredients, but you're using the ingredients people remember. Exactly. It's imagination and memory leading to emotion. Emotion and feelings. That, that's it. It just happened to use food and cooking <laughs> as one mechanism. Uh, or sound like sound of the sea so one of the things we, we um planning and doing going forward with the sound of the sea dish because this also actually i want like i'll come back to the, the 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 sound of the sea dish now because before i say what we're planning on doing the big thing that that dish did about maybe seven eight nine years ago was make me realize or question how come it wasn't a lot of people that were in tears they would react in a, in a tear, positive tearful way but it was enough to make it maybe it could be five percent let's say but it was really powerful and it, the staff found it really powerful and it was a wonderful bonding moment as well and um i was thinking how come it just must have must have pressed all the things must just have triggered just just nudged that person into that memory so how can we do that with more people so that means starting to work with 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 the diner and to try and tap into their memories so you you can give them the opportunity to hone into one of those you know those ratatouille moments and it was really the sound of the sea that catalyst was the catalyst for the last certainly well last five or six years of work um on personalizing for people which was it's been incredibly hard and we're not we're not there yet at all however 
And then when, when I, th- I realised, I remember um, my two head chefs at the time, Ash and Johnny, and I remember saying, guys, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. And then look at me. What? I've, got, I've got it. We, we, we personalise the multi-sensory moment for people. And have you ever had the feeling, you might say no, but when you think you've a really exciting idea and you're looking at the faces looking back at you, and then don't look really excited. They've gone slightly white and sort yeah. of the jaws sort of <laughs> dropping. I'm thinking, well, well, this is not the face I expected. But of course, you know, what they're thinking is, oh my God, how are we going to do this? Yeah, I've got it's to cook really, 150 of these. <laughs> yeah, it's really ambitious. So we've still been tirelessly working on that. And that's, that, and that's, that's in the next three, six months, I think we'd have made some really big progress in it on that front and one of them is actually to, to for people to be more aware that we we we're thinking of you know how can we give an opportunity or an environment where the diner can create or access to one of the, to their own have their own ratatouille moment and with the sound of the sea you know if we can get to the point where on when you make the booking you can actually choose your seaside scene so you'll have some graphic equalizers and you can choose the volume of the waves and the speed of the waves and maybe the height of the waves. Are they lapping? Are they crashing? So you start, do you want seagulls? Do you want outboard motor? Maybe it's at <laughs> nighttime and there's a crackling fire. Maybe there's kids on the beat. Maybe you, I don't know what the- um, Do you want seagulls it? with that? Could be the new- <laughs> Yes, phrase. exactly. I don't, know, I don't know what the sound of a, of a naturalist beach would be, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but they, the, um, the idea that if, if you do that, then people start to because you want you I want the, the 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 diner the customers to be able to do the work to create their own as opposed to you know who am I to think I can you know tap into your emotions no no it's an opportunity to be able to you know, have a play around and maybe come across you know, go on a little treasure a treasure hunt of memories of nostalgic moments um, and that's really all thanks to Sound of the Sea. What a wonderful journey into what I think is a genuinely uh, one of those dishes that you encounter and you've never had anything like it before or since. And it is amazing. And hearing you explain it in that way, it's really interesting. We just had an half an hour conversation about a dish and we haven't really spoken about ingredients. We've spoken the entire time about memories and emotions and feelings and how you capture that on the dish. And that's the perfect illustration of that dish. That was wonderful. Thank you, Heston. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, If you go to Heston's podcast on Instagram, we will be putting up some pictures of it so you can see what we've been nattering on about. Um, And also, you know, when you're looking at those, do plug your headphones in and listen to some um, Sound of Seagulls. It'll certainly transport you back to that place. Yeah, actually, I I mean, this is one for a... uh, Just before I leave you, Jay, one for for anyone listening that's interested. There's a general thing of the effect of sound um on on our perception of the food that we eat and we drink so we touched on crunchy and crispy but also you know if you listen to a sharp sound like a and you've got a drink wine normally works quite well because it's got sweet and bitter and sour and uh yeah sometimes tannic and stuff um elements to it a sharper piece of music will accentuate the sharp element of that drink. You can do it if you've got vegetable juice as well. If it's, Let's say you've got some apple, because that's got some sweetness, a bit of lemon juice in with some acidity. You've got a bit of 
celery or cucumber or some spinach where you've got bitterness as well then you can play around with 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 various um various tracks i know camina barona camina barona which is the the uh, allspice advert i'm not going to try and sing it with red wine it makes we can make, make red wine seem richer but if you play the uh dance of the sugar plum fairy from nutcracker suite i get really high pitched and there's a tingles that oh my god the wine is ruined it's ruined <laughs> just, this is just wonderful. by what you listen to <laughs> let us know how you get on out there with your with your sound experiments heston thank you ever so much look forward to more fat duck secrets next week um but for now that's all we've got time for all that's left to say is goodbye heston Thanks, Jay. And goodbye, Jay. <laughs>